Thanks for singing that song. I'm glad to be reminded today that God's grace is enough regardless of what we go through in life because sometimes we have problems. Like uh, recently I learned about a problem. It's pretty disturbing. I wanted to share it with you this morning. I found out that rattlesnakes will bite you without rattling. <laughs> Which I personally don't think is right. I mean, you've already got hypodermic fang needles. You already got poison. Why do you got to bite me without at least letting me know that you're going to bite me? And the least you can do is rattle your stupid rattler. That's why God gave it to you. But <laughs> apparently they'll do that. Uh, maybe like some of you, I hike a lot here in Arizona. I, I've lived out here 15 years. I hike all the time. I don't see rattlesnakes very often. I'm quite thankful for that. But I did see a desert tortoise a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the, the tortoise hissed at me. I didn't know turtles hissed. But if you're like me, when I'm out hiking, I jump at the smallest, tiniest little sound. And even if it's a stupid turtle hissing, uh, I jump, a, a quail coming, um, little kids coming around the corner, anything kind of just freaks me out because there are poisonous reptiles in the desert that I hike in all the time. And that thought is never far from my mind as well as it probably shouldn't be. On more than one occasion, I thought as I'm hiking, you know, if there just weren't Gila monsters and rattlesnakes and cactus and jumping choya. Have you ever stepped on one of those stupid things? If there just weren't all these things in the desert, God, it would be a lot more enjoyable to hike. It would be a lot more enjoyable. I could enjoy this time if there wasn't the possibility of getting killed uh, or getting hurt badly. And it's kind of like life, I suppose. Sometimes I'm tempted to say, God, you know, if there just weren't weeds if there just weren't problems in my life, I could probably enjoy this a little bit better. And yet God has a purpose for the weeds in my life. And I know he's got a purpose for weeds in your life. And it reminds me of a story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable. It's a wonderful story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 13. And in the story, Jesus said, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the fields where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? Well, an enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You will uproot the wheat if you do. So let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. It's a great story. We're going to try to unpack it a little bit, but let's pray for our time together. God, thank you for the opportunity that I have to be here with my friends at Mountain Park Church. I pray for Pastor Allen today that you would help him to live through the marathon. And uh, Pastor Juno, whoever else is there running, I know we got kids off to camp in other parts uh, of the state. I pray for them, and I pray for this church, for our time together, that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us. If I say anything stupid, help us to forget it before we leave the building. Help us to remember only what is constructive and helps us to grow into Christ-likeness. In your name we pray, amen. So in this story, it's pretty simple. The farmer represents God. The workers represent people like you and like me. And the enemy represents our spiritual enemy, Satan, who in this case 
in the middle of the night, has snuck in and has planted some bad seed. Now, he did this in the story, and he does this in our life because he knows that if it's in broad daylight, he has no power, he has no control uh, over the ultimate victory of our life. He does it at nighttime under the cover of shadow because he's a coward. He's smart, he's cunning, and we need to respect that, but he's a coward. So at nighttime, he stole in in this story, and he sowed some bad seed. Now, I don't know what was happening in the, the farm on this story. I don't know if they left the gates open. If the doors were wide open, we were recently back in Kansas with my mother-in-law who lives on a farm in southeast Kansas. And, you know, back there in the Midwest where you don't have neighbors for acres and acres around, they, everyone leaves their doors open and their gates wide open, which can be a problem. People can get in sometimes. I went through a phase a couple of years ago. I don't know what my problem was, but I went through this phase where I kept forgetting to close my garage door at night. Have you ever done that? And one night, about 2 in the morning, I'm in a dead sleep. And I hear the garage door, what I thought was opening, it was actually closing. And the garage, in this case, in the house we lived in, is right underneath our bedroom. So it's quite loud. So about 2 in the morning, I heard the garage door, what I thought was opening. So I'm in a panic. You know what that feels like? It's 2 in the morning. You're dead asleep anyhow. And you have all this adrenaline starts pumping. I grabbed the closest thing I could find, which was a broom or something like that. And I began to walk down the steps. And about that time, I looked out my front window and I saw my neighbor running back to her house. And then it dawned on me, she probably closed my garage door because I had left it open. And sure enough, I peeked in the garage and it was closed. And of course, by then, you know, it took me a couple hours to get back to sleep. I went over to my neighbor the next morning. I said, thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate that. I don't know what my problem is, but next time, could you close it at about 11? Um, Because that really freaked me out. And I think the least you could do is monitor my house a little bit earlier at night. So I was quite grateful to have neighbors like that. So I I don't know what's going on in the story here that Jesus told, whether or not the workers left the gate open or whether or not they closed the gate. Because I've noticed in my life, even when I've done everything that I'm supposed to do and I've closed all the gates and I've prayed the prayers and I've done the things and I'm living like I should, even then, the devil slips in at times. And what I've realized after all this time is that all of us have to sleep. Sooner or later, whether the gates close or not, whether the garage doors close or not, all of us have to sleep, and the enemy is going to figure out a way to get in. And so he does in this story, and he does in our life. And then when he sneaks in, in this story, he begins to plant some seed, and it's pretty interesting here. This seed is, uh, they're, they're weeds that he's planting, but they're not just any kind of weeds. They're the kind of weed that is very similar to wheat, now, uh, in, the, in the original language, it talks about a weed that's called darnel. And apparently darnel is a lot like wheat, and it's difficult to discern the difference between the wheat and this particular weed. It intertwines itself, and it grows up in the middle of the wheat until it either chokes out the wheat, and you don't notice this until late into harvest, which is obviously a problem. That's why these guys were upset. Or sometimes it was actually harvested and you would consume the darnel along with the wheat. But the problem with this particular wheat, uh, weed darnel was it was a narcotic. So as they would eat it, they would obviously feel funny. They would get high. So Jesus is talking not only about weeds, but he's talking about weed at the, <laughs> the same time. It's pretty applicable to our day probably. So it's a problem either way, as you can imagine. And the workers 
were frustrated and they were anxious. They realized that the entire crop was in danger of being lost. And so they ran to the farmer and they said, we're going to go pull these weeds out. And the farmer's response is, I think, counterintuitive because I'm tracking with them up until this point. Let's de-weed the issues. But the farmer slows them down and says, no, leave the weeds. And then he goes on to say, you leave them. We're going to take care of them later. We're going to gather them all up together. We're going to separate them then. We're going to burn off the bad stuff. We're going to keep the good stuff and use it. But leave the weeds. So I want to unpack that thought here for the rest of our time together. What is it like and why would God allow weeds to grow in our life? Why doesn't he say many times, he does sometimes, but often, why doesn't he say, yeah, it's okay, rip them out? Here's the reason why, I think, at least a part of the reason why, and it's wrapped up in this sentence. I want to teach it to you this morning. It's real simple. It'll help us remember what I think Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable. The sentence goes like this. The reason he leaves the weeds is because he's in control. I'm not. He understands the timing. I don't. It's all about him, not me. Say it with me. He's in control. I'm not. He understands the timing. I don't. It's all about him, not me. And that's why the weeds have to stay. First of all, he is in control. I am not in control. I have had to learn this many times in my life. I like to think I'm in control. I enjoy being in control. I have often thought, why is that? Why do I like to control the things going on in my life? Why do I like to have the power? And I've learned over the years, the reason that I like it is because truthfully, if I can be honest with you today, I'm not proud of this, I'm just telling you the truth. It's easier for me to control things than to love things and to live in the middle of the issues. It's easier for me to get my grubby little hands on the stuff and try to dictate how everything's supposed to look and to feel, and which weeds I really want to put up with and which weeds I don't. But unfortunately, I'm not in control. God's in control. See, power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Henry Nouwen says it seems easier to be God than to love God. It's easier to control people than to love people. It's easier to own life than just to love it. And sometimes when I come with, to God with the weeds and I remind him as if he didn't know anyhow, he says, hang on, I'm in control. You're not. I'm in control and you're not. And then I tend to have this conversation with God. I'll say, God, I, I don't like it, and it's not fair. And God will say, I understand that, but it's really not about what's fair and what you like. It's about what I think is appropriate in your life. And I'll say, but that's stupid. <laughs> Just telling you, that's what I say sometimes. I, I, don't, I don't like it. It's... I, it's not working. Really, how is this not working? I don't feel it. I don't smell it. I can't see it. I can't touch it. Obviously, you're not working. Jonathan, you know that it's always darkest before the dawn, right? You've preached that on occasion, right? Yes, good point. <laughs> don't you remember that my grace is sufficient for you? 
and I will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. These are the kinds of problems I got, kind of issues going on in my mind. I have this little conversation with God frequently, about every week or so, until I remember I'm not in control. God's in control. If you try to control the, the things in your life, the stuff in your life, the people, the weeds, you will never have an authentic relationship with God because he's got to be in control as much as we like to do it. I grew up uh, next door to a friend of mine. His name was Chris. We were about seven, eight, nine years old. We used to play a lot together. I would jump the fence and we'd go. Uh, he'd either come to my house or I'd jump the fence, go to his house. We played a lot of G.I. Joes back in the day. And we would be playing G.I. Joes. And Chris had this little sister. And her name was Jody. Jody Hansen at the time was probably about five or six. And Jody Hansen lived by a powerful mantra. It guided her every waking moment. And while Chris and I would be playing with the G.I. Joes or doing whatever, Jody Hansen would come in the room, or maybe we would accidentally come into her room, something like that. And she would point her finger at me, and she would straighten her spine, and she would say, Jonathan Foster, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> and sometimes she'd get real specific. You are not the boss of my toys. You'd accidentally touch her. You are not the boss of my left scapula. <laughs> Stuff like that. I mean, she was very concerned about exerting her control over the situation. She wanted everybody to know in the room that she was the boss of herself. And it's pretty funny when you're five or six, but it's not so funny when we're still doing it at 25 and 35 and 55. We've got a whole world full of people who basically are just trying to tell everyone else, you're not the boss of me. We got spouses telling each other, you're not the boss of me. We got kids telling their parents, you're not the boss of me. How stupid do we sound? But that's what we do. We have nations telling other nations, you're not the boss of me. I was driving down here this morning to open the word of God. I was feeling really spiritual in my car as I was driving down praying about our time together. And a guy runs right in front of me. And I realized he had come up behind. It was only him and me on the freeway, Sunday morning, and he was taking exception with how slow I was going, which is probably the first time that has ever happened. Came up right behind me, flashed his lights, I didn't move, so then he pulled around real quick, and he waved at me or something. I'm not sure exactly what he did with his hands. <laughs> probably charismatic or something, I don't know. And I thought, you know what? That guy, he's really saying, you're not the boss of me on the road. And we just do this all the time. It's all about control because it's easier than actually living in the tension. But God says he's the boss. He's in control. And he doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. In my little paraphrase of what happens with Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, among other things, Jesus prays, Father God, you're the boss of me. You're my boss. What a great model. Go into the cross saying, God, you're in control. And we have weeds in our life. And we go to God, we say, rip them out. And he says, no, because, say it with me, he's in control, I'm not. And he understands the timing, I don't. It's about him, not me. See, he's in control, I'm not. And then he understands the timing. This is such a huge concept because timing is so important in our lives, in our walk with God, and anything good that 
that happens in our life. We've got to allow the Spirit of God to mature in our lives, and it takes seasons. It takes years sometimes. It takes seasons of our life, not just chronological seasons, but going through different phases of our life for things to mature and to grow up. And different seeds will mature at various and varying rates. A carrot seed takes a certain amount of time to grow in a carrot, but that's different than a pear seed that grows into a pear tree. A tomato seed might take a season or so. An acorn might take several seasons to grow into a big old oak tree. And in our lives, it takes seasons. It takes going through some things to realize what it is that God is teaching us. But what we can be assured of is the harvest is coming. Now, we don't know when. God almost never tells me when. Ticks me off. All he tells me is just hang on. It's right around the corner. There's a season that's coming. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you'll receive a harvest. James tells us if we keep sowing seeds of wisdom that we will cultivate, that we'll receive a harvest of righteousness. Ecclesiastes says for everything there's a season. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or sit in the way of sinners or stand in the way of uh, mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day and night. This man is like a tree planted by waters who yields its fruit in season. Over and over, the scriptures tell us, over and over, Jesus teaches us, hang on, hang on. See, it's winter. It's winter. It's not death. You're not dead yet. It's winter. Dormancy is different than death. In dormancy, in the winter season, we learn to do things differently. We, we pull in. We, we learn uh, how to recalibrate our lives. We, we save energy. We get smarter. We get stronger. But we know spring is right around the corner. God understands the timing. All we got to do is hang on through the winter. Sometimes it takes a while. My family had the opportunity to go to Sequoia National Park a few years ago. It was a great trip. We were there visiting some friends in a little town called Visalia, California. And then the park's about an hour up from Visalia. And so on a Sunday afternoon after church, kind of like our time together here, my family of five drove up the winding, curving road, made all of us quite nauseous, got into the National Park. And all the way up there, apparently we were talking a lot about giant trees. And our, our youngest at the time was probably about four or five, and, and understandably afterwards, looking back, he was starting to get freaked out about giant trees. I don't know if he had kind of the Lord of the Rings thing going or <laughs> Harry Potter enchanted force kind of thing happening, but the kid was just getting quieter and quieter. And we got there, and we all jumped out. Let's go see the giant trees. And he jumped in my arms and buried his head in my neck and said, I don't want to see the giant trees. <laughs> and I realized uh, what we'd been, we'd been psychologically damaging this kid for the last hour. It was such a cool place uh, to be once we got the kids calmed down and to see these giant trees, the largest living organisms in the world, some of the oldest living organisms in the world. But the most impressive thing that I saw during our few hours at Sequoia National Park was when a park ranger came by with a handful of sequoia seeds and he showed me how small they were. You could fit a couple of dozen sequoia seeds in your hand, and they grow into the largest living organism in the world. Isn't that amazing? That is mind-boggling. 
And I'll never forget that because every time I think of it, I think of my faith and your faith and how Jesus talked about just a tiny little mustard seed and how it grows into a big tree. Tiny little sequoia seed, how it grows into a giant sequoia. And I'm here to tell you today, you're not a carrot. You're not a tomato. You're a giant sequoia of faith that God is growing up inside of you, making you to be something that he has in mind. And you got to go through seasons. But it's all right. There's joy right around the corner, as First Peter tells us. We've got to experience trials for a little while so that our faith is proven genuine. Your faith, like fire as it tests gold and purifies gold, your faith is just like that. And then Peter goes on to say, and your faith is worth a lot more to God than mere gold. So it's right around the corner. Spring's coming. We get so dramatic and so definitive Like, oh my word, my life is over. The relationship is over. The situation is over. It's done. And then the talking heads start chiming in. You know, those so-called experts, the people who get paid to give their opinions, or maybe not even paid, but they give their opinions about all the things going on in your life. They don't have a clue. Do you know what Eugene Peterson says in the New Testament in the message? He says, humans don't decide destiny. God decides your destiny. And we put our faith and our hope in these talking heads, these experts. They don't realize you're just in a season. Winter's different than death. Dormancy's different than death. Spring's coming. And we learn that over and over again. Aren't you glad our country has gone through a season? I think of things like even being able to elect a black president. I'm glad that all the generations of people who said we would never have a black president we're wrong. That was just a season. Now, I don't know what you think about Barack Obama. That's not the point. It's not about politics. It's about, that's a great example. That was just a season. The people who got paid a lot of money to sit on television to say it would never happen, they were wrong. Guess what? They're still on television saying other things will never happen. Makes no sense to me. How about these talking experts who say Tim Tebow can't play quarterback? (laughs) I mean, you can't preach a sermon in this day and age right now without mentioning Tim Tebow. (laughs) Nothing else really matters. He won a few games. He's got some work to do. But the talking head said it would never happen. I don't know Tim Tebow from Barack Obama. That's not the point. Those are just examples of how people say it's done, it's history, it'll never happen, it's over. That's not true. It's just winter. Spring is right around the corner. Hang on. Don't grow weary yet. Hang on. He's in control. I'm not. He understands the timing. I don't. And this is about him, not me. You see, this is kind of a tough one, but the truth is, this is really about God. It's really not about you, and it's really not about me. This is difficult for me to understand, because I've grown up in a similar culture that you have here in America, where I assume everything revolves around me. It's very narcissistic. It's very individualistic. There are some good things about it, but there are some very dangerous things about it. And one of these dangerous things are, especially as I kind of superimpose that whole philosophy and idea of thought into my walk with God, is that obviously this is all about me. And it's not. See, it's really about God. Now, Satan doesn't like you and me. I'll I'll give you that. But he really hates God. He's really trying to get back at God. 
And he knows the best way to get back at God is to mess with you and to plant weeds in your life. As a parent, I can relate to that. It's one thing for me to go through something. But when my kids go through something, and you parents know that, isn't that tough? There are so many more levels. There's so, it's so much more nuance. There's so many more subtle things that I have to worry about and manage and, and process through. Because there's nothing like when your kid is hurting with something. I believe that's what's going on in this life that we're leading and we are living. The devil hates God. He's out to get God. You and I are in the way. So he plants weeds in our life to affect God. But here's the crazy thing. You see, God's in control. And so God, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm speaking loosely, but I think this is congruent with what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable as well as what the rest of the Bible teaches. God sees what the devil is doing. And it's almost like he has this conversation. Devil, I see what you're doing. You're planting weeds. You know what? Go ahead. Plant the weeds. Do what you think you need to do but I understand how it's going to turn out. You see, devil, you think the weeds are going to bring my servant to his or her knees. The reality is, it's going to bring them to their knees. But as they get on their knees, they're going to be humbled. And by the way, I oppose the proud, and I give grace to the humble. And when my servants are humbled, look out, anything can happen. That's when I'm going to glorify myself through the weeds that you planted because you thought you were going to destroy them. You see how that works? How cool is that? We have a God who allows the enemy to plant weeds in our life and says, it's all right because I'm in control. That's God speaking. And it's not going to tear my servant, my son, or my daughter down. I know them. I know them. So leave the weeds. I have uh, conversations sometimes with my own kids, probably like you do with yours, and I see the things they're going through, and I have to tell them every once in a while, look, you're a foster. I know you. I was there on the day you were born. Your mama doesn't remember that day because she was a little bit out of it, but I was there. <laughs> Trust me. She's reminded me of that. I know what's inside of you. I know what... God wants to make in you. You're a sequoia. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. God says, leave the weeds. I don't know what the weeds are in your life. God says, leave the financial condition for a little bit longer. Leave the diabetes for a little bit longer. Leave the loneliness just a little bit longer. Leave the evil people in your life, the gossipers, the backstabbers, the people who are out for themselves, the liars. Leave them. God says, because I'm in control. I know how this is going to work out. This is not really about you. It's about me. I got a plan. Man, that's good news. That's good news. So my job is to recognize it and to leave the weeds. I'm going to close in just a moment, and I have found that that's generally the most happy sentence I can say when I speak. <laughs> it's amazing how people light up all over the place. Yes, he's going to close. I'm going to close in a moment, and, um, but before I do, I'm going, to, I'm going to just issue one little caveat about all this, 
And I, I really uh, struggle with, with saying this because it completely wrecks the momentum of where we're going. So we got a good thing happening right here. I've been preaching really good here for a few minutes, but I'm just kidding about that. I don't know if I am. But I need to pause for a second. One little caveat, because I can see how this thought gets out of control with some of us believers. I don't necessarily think that Jesus is telling us in this parable that you are therefore supposed to stay in every single situation of your life, in particular those situations where you might uh, be abused, physical, sexual, spiritual, verbal, mental abuse, and it goes way beyond the scope of this message. It goes way beyond the time that we have to define what abuse is in your life. I would just hate for someone to walk out and say, man, I got to stay in this relationship because obviously this parable says that I'm supposed to stay in it. I don't necessarily think that's true. Now, you'll have to study scripture and get with a trusted friend, mature person to kind of process all that, but I just wanted to throw that caveat in there because I think that might be misleading. But for the majority of our problems, getting back on track now, for the majority of our problems, God just says, leave the weeds. And here's the part that I love. I love this. Do you remember in the story, Jesus told a story, and he said that the farmer told the workers, leave the weeds, because at the end, we're going to harvest all of it, and then we're going to separate it at the time. We can't rip them out now because we might rip up the wheat and ruin all of it. So we're going to let it all grow up together. And at the proper time, we're going to harvest it. We're going to separate it. We're going to consume the wheat and use it. Do you remember what he said they're going to do with the weeds? They're going to burn them. And you know what happens when something gets burned? Energy is released. You know what can happen if you can harness energy? It becomes fuel for your life. How great is that? Do you think Jesus knew how to tell a story? He's telling us, leave the weeds. I'm in control. But guess what? If you process it like you're supposed to, and you harness that energy, you're going to be able to use it as fuel to overcome more problems in your life. Man, if this was a church that said amen and preach it, this would be a good time to say it. Jesus says, leave the weeds, we're going to burn them up later, and you're going to get to use it as fuel. You see, God recycles everything. We serve a green God. We think this recycling thing is new. He doesn't waste anything. You got problems, he's got a plan for it. He's going to burn them up later, and you're going to get to use the fuel. You're going to get to use the, the energy to help you overcome more problems, because there'll be more coming along down the road. As long as you remember, say it with me. He's in control. I'm not. He understands the timing. I don't. And it's about him. It's not me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be with my friends here today. Uh, what, a, what a cool uh, little relationship that I have with this church. I, I got to only spend a, a few months here but uh, I love these people, and I love uh, the pastors that serve here. I pray for your blessing on all of them. I pray about these weeds. You got weeds in this church's life that I'm not even aware of. Maybe some of us aren't even aware of. But you have allowed to grow up in the midst of this community so that you can demonstrate that you're in control. Help us to have faith. Help us to open our eyes. Help us to realize you're in control, God. And then there are weeds in individual families all throughout these chairs that are, that are here this morning, all throughout 
these chairs that are filled with people because these people have lives that are filled with all kinds of ups and downs and problems and situations. And God, some of them are just breaking our hearts. Are you kidding me? Some of these things are just, they make us desperate. And so today, even though we'd love to rip out some weeds, we have decided we're going to trust you. We've decided you've got a plan and you've got a purpose. So in faith, we say, God, your will be done. Leave the weeds. In Jesus' name, amen.